Are some leaders more likely than others to choose servant leadership? And how can the challenges in life make you more effective as a servant leader? In today's show, we discuss personality self-awareness, and then we take a look at what can be learned by facing the greatest adversity. Welcome, I'm your host, JB Adams. Each week, I bring you conversations with leaders, and in this series, we're talking with leaders who practice servant leadership. Our philosophy is that a leader is anyone who influences change. So on this show, we want to understand not just what leaders do, but who they are, and how leaders can be effective in a rapidly changing world. We hope you'll learn some things about our guests, about our topic, and also about yourself. This is Leadership Life Stories. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Today's show is part three in a series of interviews with Dr. Rick Bommeljang, president of the Leadership and Listening Institute and the founder of the nonprofit organization, Listening Wisdom. He's had a 46 year career at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, where he's a professor in the Department of Communication, teaching courses on leadership and listening. He's also a coach, consultant and speaker. Later in the show, we'll discuss Rick Bommelje's greatest adversity and what he gained from it. But we start with a dialogue about understanding your own personality and the importance of self-awareness in leadership. And we do this using one of my favorite tools, the five-factor model. And here's a special note for today's interview. When we recorded this show, we had some technical difficulties that impacted the quality of our video. But the content of the show was so good that I was not going to ask Dr. Bommeljay to redo the interview. So we're going to emphasize the audio in this show and you get a chance to see how the VMG team comes up with a creative solution to an interesting problem. So we're going to use the five-factor model as a way of putting you in some analysis. Are you, are you prepared for analysis time? Yes, yes, bring it on. All right. Uh, I have been using the five-factor model for several years. It, it is similar to other assessments, but um, it is the one that is scientifically approved. And so I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and then I will invite you to uh, pick a side and then briefly describe it. So the first uh, factor is openness. And uh, do you think of yourself as creative or practical? More practical. Okay. How so? I have many different routines and I'm disciplined and I adhere to those routines religiously. So kind of habitual. Yeah. All right. For conscientiousness, would you say you're disciplined or flexible? Definitely disciplined. Okay. Comparing the two. And as you give the compare and contrast, Mm-hmm. It's almost like I'm, I want to be, I want to be more creative. I, I want to be more flexible, right? I want to be more of these opposite dimensions. And in many cases, work to stretch myself in those areas as well. All right. Well, that's totally fair. Let's move on to extroversion. Are you introverted or extroverted? I'm an introvert. And how does that manifest? From birth? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
How, how can people tell you're introverted? I'm I quiet. Mean, I'm quiet. I'm not talkative. I'm more reflective. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's where the listening dimension uh, really resides. Well, I would say it certainly helps. Um, with regard to agreeableness, would you say you're compliant or challenging? Well, I'm a rule follower, so I would say compliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, can you give us some context? I've just been one that, um, you know, follows the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to follow the traffic rules. I'm not going to try to break them. I'm not going to do, I, I want to be, I'm going to get my taxes in on time. <laughs> I'm going to do all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's my default. So agreeable, agreeableness might contribute to good citizenship. I would say so. Okay. And for neuroticism, would you say that you're sensitive or steady? I'm sensitive. Okay. Right? How, how um, does that my, manifest? My feelings come into play. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, steady also involves, in my mind, um, not having big swings of emotion. Mm -hmm. And so I could, I'm, I'm definitely in that area because I control my emotions. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like I, if this were a descriptor of emotional mm -hmm. or non-emotional, it definitely would be non-emotional outwardly. Yeah. And I would say that that's something that a lot of people, when they hear this word neuroticism, it needs to be interpreted for them as it just means, are you sensitive or are you more stable and steady? Um, it doesn't mean that you're unstable. Yes. Yeah. But we always have to explain that when we use the word, because those are the, the five factor words. So when you think of this personality, practical, disciplined, introverted, compliant, and sensitive, uh, how do you think this suits you in your current career or in the environment that you find yourself in? I think it lines right up with my profession. Um, as a learning guide. And I would say that um, those who travel with me could see this, that I am practical, that I am disciplined and, and that I have the disciplined structures in place. I, I'm sure that they can see my in, introversion and in the grading side of it, <laughs> <laughs> compliance for sure. Um, but they would also, um, I think in neuroticism, I think that they would probably see me more as steady than sensitive. Mm -hmm. uh, out of sheer practice. Yes. Yeah. So what I'm wondering is, you think about yourself as a younger person and then as a mature person, uh, there are some people who go through life and they are not introspective and they don't feel that they need to become introspective. Well, what is the value of getting to know yourself and understanding your own personality? I, just, I think it's priceless. And to be able to do so in a variety of different ways. Um, 
And I think that this has a lot to do with openness, being open to. And this is where I've really stretched myself, mm-hmm. going on retreats that I knew nothing about and sampling these very, very different kinds of activities than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be an example of exploring self-awareness. And how do you think self-awareness plays a role in servant leadership? Do, do you believe that there's a servant leadership personality or anyone can choose to practice servant leadership? I think anyone can choose to, if there's a desire, if there's a willingness, and if there's a knowledge base to recognize the characteristics that wrap around being a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And when you look at them and you see things such as listening, awareness, you see things such as um, being concerned about the growth of other people and all these different kinds of factors, these are all learnable. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important to be able to take a take a measurement, if you will, of how much time, effort, energy are you investing in these different dimensions with other people? And at the root of it, do you care? Do you care about that? So essential. I think you just summarized what servant leadership means to me, and it, you can be summed up in that single word, care. I think so. I think that also applies to listening. Mm -hmm. Do you care? Do you care to be with the person? Even if they're completely different from your personality style or your just thought orientations. I really feel compelled to say it again. Demonstrating servant leadership means showing how much you care. And it doesn't matter what kind of personality you have, you can choose to serve. When we come back, we'll discuss Rick Bommelje's greatest adversity, how he got through it, and what he gained from it. Stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories and a segment that we call The Greatest Adversity. On this show, we acknowledge that leaders are human, and we believe that it's the struggles that prepare you to accomplish great things, and it's the struggles that help to define your identity. So in this part of the interview, Dr. Rick Bommelje describes a challenge that he has worked to overcome his entire life, and how this work has made him more effective. To understand Rick Bommelgey in the context of The Greatest Adversity, I'd like to start by labeling it. So you would label your greatest adversity as what? Struggling with resolving conflict over the long haul. Okay. So give us uh, some context. Um, All of us have to face conflict in one way or another. What were the signs and signals to you earlier on about your typical approach to conflict? Well, I would run away from it. Mm -hmm. I would avoid it. I would uh, completely shut down, not knowing how to handle it. And And, and would you say that was always true? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say that it um, followed me, not just personally, but professionally as well. Whereas in a professional context, if I got into a conflict, I had a tendency to shut down rather than move towards it and and be uh, proactive in dealing with it. So, so I'm going to use sort of a, a childhood metaphor. If we were on the schoolyard and someone was picking a fight with someone else, would, would you watch? Would you yeah. like take a step back? You never wanted to get involved. And what would be your reaction if someone wanted to pick a fight with you? I'd run. Run. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. that, that helps people understand. Um, and so when you're a child on the schoolyard, those are, that's your fight or flight response. But as you become an adult, the expectations change. Yes, yes. And it, if, if you're not aware, and this gets back to self-awareness, if you're not really aware of what's going on, this can, this can trail with you for a long time. Okay, and, and what are the consequences of having this as a conflict style when you're not aware of it? So what, what's, the, what's the outcome? I think, yeah, when you're not aware of how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one thing to label yourself as an avoider, but that's, um, that's just the beginning. You have to do more with that. And mm -hmm. if you're not understanding what the drawbacks of that can be, there are sometimes when you it's important to avoid, but if you don't fully understand the breadth and depth of that particular style, um, it can be counterproductive. Okay, so what are the drawbacks though? Having unresolved issues within myself, mm. lingering for long periods of time and the other person may not even know it. Yeah. So you're the one carrying the burden and someone that you're in a conflict with might be completely oblivious to it. Yeah. They may think the conflict's resolved mm -hmm. because I didn't um, object. I didn't um, do anything to behaviorally to show that this was a real concern for me and we needed to do something to be able to resolve this. If they don't know, they think it's resolved. To them right. it is. Uh, well, that could go on indefinitely. It can. I'll give you an example. Okay. I'll give you an example of, and keep in mind that this is when we ask the question about what's your greatest adversity, and I look back over the long haul, this is one that certainly rears its head mm -hmm. because it impacted me, as I mentioned, both personally and professionally. And I had one particular example, personal example, with one who I deeply, deeply cared about 
and we were at um, what I thought was an irresolvable conflict. And it bothered me so much and it impacted other people. And so I decided to write a letter and I put absolutely everything that I could think of in that letter in longhand, three pages. In other words, sharing your feelings about this conflict. Absolutely. I vented um, everything and what I, what I thought that this meant um, not only to me, but to others and uh, what this person needed to do. I gave them some action steps and everything. Okay. And, and, and this is the, this is the kind of letter that you write and throw away. And, and if I may interpret the uh, labeled emotions, if we were to label the emotions in this letter, they would be anger, anger, hopelessness, you know, dejection, all <laughs> those kinds of things. But I decided I decided to go ahead and mail it. And in, at that period of time, you know, technology really wasn't in play. And so I mailed it and waited. And, and again, you just said that this is the kind of letter that you should throw away, but your intention in mailing it was not to harm. No, my intention was to help. Yeah. <laughs> in a strange sort of way. And I, I think that I was an idealist um, with the idea that as the other received it, they would have enlightenment and reach out immediately and we'd be able to resolve this. When in fact, it was the exact opposite. And it just, it created a wedge, there was silence deepening silence. So the intention was to sort of provoke a change and start a dialogue. And the actual outcome was it, it made the situation worse. Would you say it made it worse? A hundred times worse. And there was a big void of time. And I, I didn't follow up because of my tendencies not to follow, you know, not to, oh, I don't want to go there. Um, but then there was a reconciliation over a period of time. And how, how much time, if I may ask? Oh, I, a, a, a year or two. It, it was more than a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought that we never came back to the issue. It was, let's just move on. Right. We move Gloss on. over it. We move on. But then a number of years later, in, um, at a point in time, we were at this um, wonderful event, and there was really great conversation and everything. Um, and the person said, but if you only hadn't written that letter. And it was like, I was a bit stunned. They never forgot. They never forgot. It was still front and center. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so that was a great lesson for me. And for some folks, writing the letter and sending it uh, could be a catharsis that is very important to have and, and could actually help to resolve an issue. For me, my lesson is, if I ever was in a situation like that again, and I, and I haven't been since, where I wanted to put all my emotions out there on a, a document, a third thing, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I guess today it could be a email, it could be a text, you know, and if it, a long one. If you feel and you've really assessed at what the potential range of outcomes can be, if you really have assessed that, go for it, right? In my case, I didn't assess fully mm-hmm. the range and was shocked <laughs> that uh, the, the counteraction was the way it was. And then a number of years later, how it still remained in the background. Yes, it it never really went away, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, I wanna go back to something that we mentioned in the previous segment because I, I can sort of think through an argument that would say, I have these pent up feelings, I want to express them and get them off my chest. But to me, this is the fork in the road. And it goes back to that word care. If I don't care about the relationship, I will express my feelings and basically say, I'm done with you because maybe I don't care about the outcome. And I'm actually putting words to some things that people often don't think about. I'm taking the extra step and saying, let's think about it. Are you in fact saying you do not care about this relationship or uh, contrary to that, if I do care about this relationship, then I also care about the outcome of sending this letter. That's a wonderful way to frame it. And it, and it also puts the responsibility where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. There, there have been two sources that have helped me over the years. Um, one of them, uh, two books. One of them is The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. And the second one is Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Okay, T- tell us about these two books. Well, the second one, um, nonviolent communication. He really frames it through the perspective of compassionate communication Mm -hmm. and being able to respond to needs and values, right? Rather than getting into this pointless cycle of blaming and self-justifying, all these counterproductive things that can be wedges. Mm -hmm. The Anatomy of Peace, it's actually a story, um, wonderful story, written as a story 
uh, talks about mindset and the difference between having a heart at war and mm. having a heart at peace. Mm. And, and th just having that little bit of information, all of a sudden, for me, changes the picture dramatically. And rather than seeing people as objects, seeing them as people. Wow. And this, I, gets, this gets back to your point about care. Mm -hmm. I think right? that's powerful. I think yeah. that's powerful uh, because here's how I'm in interpreting it. Someone might say, I'm done with you and send that letter and say, oh, I got to say everything that I wanted to say and now we're done. I, I contend you cannot go through life <laughs> in that way and expect to be happy, successful, fulfilled, um, attractive to other people uh, because it says something about you. And, and there, I understand there might be times when you need to have distance from certain people, but you can't make a practice out of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and making a practice that way limits, as you mentioned, just the potential and the opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. So today... Um, I'm at a point where I view conflict in an entirely different way. To me, it's an adaptive challenge. Uh, all conflicts are unique. They may have some similarities, but they're unique. It's a leadership challenge. And it begins from the inside, inside of me, out in terms of what's my response going to be, to what end, um, is it going to help uh, in a life-enriching way? Is it going to serve? Mm -hmm, exactly. Getting back to the point about servant leadership. And so what would you say is your approach to conflict? If it's not avoidance, what, what's the takeaway here? What, what should we do when we find ourselves in these conflict situations? I think that it's important to receive it receive the conflict, this may sound strange, as a gift, a gift to be able to open up and determine what's the best path to take. If it's a value to be able to move towards a viable outcome, a life enriching outcome. Mm. So in looking at the various styles, there's of course no one best style, as we mentioned earlier, an avo avoiding could be a very important style in a particular situation. Mm -hmm. I think where I'm moving much more towards would be compromising and collaborating. Mm -hmm. All right, so you're kind of touching on a tool that we both like, uh, the Thomas Kilman instrument. Um, there are five approaches, and, and they include avoiding, accommodating, compromising, competing, and collaborating. Yes. And, and I know that both you and I have used this tool and, and we're fans of it. Um, but you, you just said something that got my attention. 
and it goes back to time. If I choose avoidance as a conflict strategy, I'm buying time. Yes. You can't buy time forever. Yes. And it also magnifies the habit of procrastination. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, and I've, I've had the wonderful privilege to be able to explore this word, uh, courage. Mm -hmm. It limits the growth of courage. Mm -hmm. And, and a courage, the root word is core, which is heart. Right. And we come back to where, what's your orientation? Are you approaching this from a heart of war or a heart of peace? Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. So that's really helped me a lot. So let's put this back in the context of servant leadership. For us to serve and, and to pull the takeaway out of your adversity, how can we be better servant leaders in our approach to conflict? To realize the conflict is actually neutral and it's how we receive it to be able to respond in a serving way. You know, what being able to assess and see the different dimensions of a conflict and then being able to respond appropriately in ways that not impact just yourself, but others in the process, mm -hmm. which is the true spirit of serving, not just yourself, but others in the, in the whole scheme of things. Yeah, mutually beneficial. Yes. All right, Rick. Thank you for uh, participating in The Greatest Adversity with thank, us. Thank you. That's uh, That was helpful, just to be able to articulate that. Uh, I found it powerful and helpful as well, um, as I always do. I think it goes without saying that discussing your adversity isn't easy. It takes great courage and vulnerability, but it's worth doing because it helps other people relate to you and that makes you more effective as a servant leader. I want to thank Dr. Rick Bommelje for joining us and setting a great example of servant leadership in this interview. Next week, the series concludes as we invite Dr. Rick Bommelje to respond to questions and comments provided by his colleagues and students. So please join us. Thanks for listening. You can find episodes of Leadership Life Stories and all other Victor Media Group shows at victormediagroup.co. Leadership Life Stories was created by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell. Sound design and video production by Jeremy Harmson. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow us at Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform. This is J.B. Adams, and until next time, remember, Life is for service.